0: The unofficial end to summer is here. School has started for most, football season is upon us and soon the leaves will be changing color. At the DSR Network, we remain as busy as ever, with a full slate of podcasts scheduled for the fall. In the coming weeks, we'll be launching two new shows with new hosts, creating even more content for our members. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, bonus content, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of September, you'll receive 20% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SCHOOL at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SCHOOL. Thank you for your support.
1: This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the
2: boats and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel.
1: These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter. I'm not Dr. Kavita Patel um uh and i know that's a disappointment i'm just david rothcuff but she's away this week she'll be back next week but the great norm ornstein is right here good morning norm good morning david uh good to talk to you i was just watching secretary blinken's performance of hoochie yeah. man last night at the state department
2: and it was pretty good i'm just resentful i wasn't invited. Um. Uh... But uh, he is uh, a multi-talented person, very clearly. And I, as I have said several times in writing,
1: the menciest Secretary of State we have ever had. Um, if you can imagine Warren Christopher playing guitar, <laughs> wouldn't 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 have happened? You know, I remember when I was in the Clinton administration, Warren Christopher was the Secretary of State at the beginning and um he uh he had a habit he would have lunch in his office on the 7th floor at the state department and at, for his lunch he would have you know something prepared and then he would take out three peanut m&ms and put them in a little row on the table <laughs> and that was that he would just one by one he would take his three peanut m&ms and that was his treat. Um, and, but, you know, we've had other musical secretaries of state. You know, Condoleezza
2: Rice is a concert pianist. Yes, indeed. But she also was nowhere near as good a secretary of state as Tony Blinken. Absolutely, absolutely
1: true. By the way, my wife was at that event last night. She is a professional yeah. cultural diplomat. And so, this, you know, she's now in the government. Yeah. And she was there. They were kicking off something a big new initiative around music diplomacy. And there were
2: cool people there. Herbie Hancock was there and a bunch of music diplomats. Um, I I do want to tell you about one of my uh, more memorable experiences, which was many years ago at a Kennedy Center Honors, which I, for a couple of decades, was able to do and it was a highlight of the year. uh, That no longer is the case. Uh, 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 David Rubenstein, if you're listening, uh, please rectify that. So uh, that that year, Stevie Wonder uh, got the Kennedy Center honor, and they have a dinner afterwards, and they had a band. And uh, late at night, after midnight, Stevie Wonder sat down at the piano. And then Herbie Hancock who had been one of the uh, previous honorees and also had helped to uh, uh, introduce uh, Stevie Wonder, sat down with him. At that point, there were only about 25 people left in the room. For an hour, as I stood right next to both of them, they jammed together on the piano, first one, then the other, then both of them together, singing and playing. And it's like, pinch me, uh, what could be better than this? And it really was something.
1: Yeah, that's one of the one of the little surprises about Washington. Every once in a while, these artists come through town, and they're a little jazzed to be in Washington, and Washington is jazzed to see them, uh, and it elevates the whole thing a lot, um, and it's. Uh, You know, back in the day when you saw that, Washington may have seemed redeemable. Um, Not so sure it seems redeemable right now. What's your prognosis about government shutdown? And I say that with some trepidation, since, you know, somebody could be listening to this a week after we record it, and there might not be one. But what what do you think is going to happen?
2: I think the odds of a shutdown are 99.999%. Uh, the, uh, 0.001% at this point is that somehow at the 11th hour, they get this 45 day extension, um, which will just bring us back to having a shutdown in November. Uh, the, uh, train in the house, the runaway train in the house is being driven by Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy is just along for the ride at this point the demands that they've made, uh, the uh, petty things that they've done. You know, what McCarthy's been trying to do now desperately is to pass a bunch of appropriations bills with the hope that when they get to the Senate, where they will be non-starters, he can at least say, it's not our fault. We passed something. They just didn't accept it. He is having enormous difficulty doing it, and just look at what they had to do Uh, on defense. They had to accept an amendment, which they all voted for, that would reduce Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense's salary to $1. Now, why would they go after Lloyd Austin? I would say, as in so many other things, it's black and white. And the fact that he is black had a lot to do with that. But it shows you the level of humiliation that Kevin McCarthy has been willing to take to appease the lunatic fringe of his party. And that is leading us to a shutdown. And the only hope that McCarthy has of holding on to his speakership, and I would say that Kevin McCarthy has become akin to the Bibi Netanyahu of Congress, that his only goal, no matter what the damage, is to stay as speaker. Uh, his hope is that the shutdown lasts long enough, is painful enough that many of his own Republicans come to him and say, we've got to get out of this and we will try to protect you. And then Kevin McCarthy is going to have to go to uh, the Democrats and beg forgiveness and hope that they can provide some votes so that when there is a motion to vacate, uh, that he can stay as Speaker. And I find myself uh, highly doubtful that that will uh, occur, but I, I see a shutdown as almost inevitable. It's it's a it's a really strange
1: situation because in the past, when there have been government shutdowns, and I once, by the way, was the acting undersecretary of commerce during a government shutdown, and so I had this big kingdom of twenty five hundred employees, none of whom showed yeah. up to work. And I would walk through the empty halls of the Commerce Building, um, uh, (laughs) lamenting my fate. But uh, it was because the Republicans were united in trying to achieve some kind of a goal, Uh, uh, typically an irrational goal, typically one that they got punished for at the polls afterwards. Uh, And yet here you've got this fringe group of some of the weirdest, most dysfunctional human beings that we have ever seen in public life the notion that matt gates um or marjorie taylor green uh or paul gosar has any influence at all in the united states congress is amazing but they're actually in charge of this show um because they have the ability to end kevin mccarthy's speakership at any moment if he doesn't dance to their tune um this is a, a will be a shutdown unlike any other because it seems to me that it'll be impossible to reason with these people uh and it leads to the next question which is how does
2: it end uh it doesn't end well um but at some point obviously we reopen the government and then it becomes a question of uh what price gets extracted for a change in speakership and who comes in. Democrats are going to have some interesting choices to make in this regard. Kevin McCarthy can be saved only by cutting a deal with Democrats. The deal he cuts with Democrats will further enrage the Freedom Caucus uh, because you know, they're going to ask for reasonable things that the unreasonables won't like. And for Democrats, it also becomes a question of whether they would prefer to have a completely weak and unreliable Kevin McCarthy. Remember, Kevin McCarthy cut a deal with Joe Biden and Democrats with his Republicans going along to keep us from defaulting. He's reneged on that deal. If I were Hakeem Jeffries and Kevin McCarthy came to me and said, Okay, I'll give you this concession. We won't uh, go any further in this farcical impeachment effort against Joe Biden. Or we'll let you bring a couple of bills up so that we can keep things going. Or we'll pass through something that solves the debt ceiling once and for all. Why believe him? That's one thing. The second is, are we better off or worse off if Kevin McCarthy is replaced with a more uh, radical uh, and lunatic speaker? Uh, and that would include, in my judgment, Elise Stefanik, um, who is angling for the job since Steve Scalise, the presumed next in line, uh, now is fighting cancer. Or would it be a Marjorie Taylor Green or a Scott Perry? or more likely a Jim Jordan. And I tell you, since I've been very frustrated that Democrats don't play hardball the way that Republicans play hardball, uh, I'd rather go to the polls in 2024 with a Jim Jordan as speaker to make it so clear to the American people, and especially uh, those suburban Republican and independent voters that we're not dealing with a normal party in the GOP. We're dealing with a radical lunatic cult. Uh, so those are some choices that likely will have to be made. But, you know, more broadly, David, let's reinforce the idea that a shutdown, in this case, for no good reason, other than radical people who think that if you shut down the government, people are going to applaud it because they'll realize that government only hurts us. That's their uh, outlook. Is causes enormous damage. Um, Already, we're seeing that contractors and others are making plans based on the expectation that we're going to have a shutdown. Fundamental services that people rely on are going to be disrupted by shutdowns. Ancillary damage—you know, disruptions at national parks are going to cause hotels, motels, restaurants, tourist uh, sites. Uh, all to suffer from this. And then we have the fact that government employees will not be paid. Contractors to the government will not be paid. Including the United States military. Including the military. And and these are people who live, uh, in many of them, from paycheck to paycheck. They're going to be reimbursed. The government employees will. The contractors will not. But if you have to make rent or mortgage payments... You have to put food on the table, and you don't have a huge amount of savings to fall back on. You may have to incur substantial credit card debt with high interest rates where they are right now, or rely on the sufferance of your landlords or your banks. It's uh, just unbelievably cruel. The pro-life people who are inflicting this damage on not just the military, government employees. but a whole lot of other people who need government services. Uh, it's to have a government egged on, goaded on by Donald Trump, who bizarrely thinks that they will stop the prosecutions if they shut down the government, uh, and driven by the Paul Gosars, Scott Perrys, Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boeberts of the country. Uh, it's a sad state for the country. Yeah, well, a lot
1: of people describe the Republican Party as a cult, um, oh. uh, or certainly some of its more extreme components. Yeah. But it seems to me in this case, it's more like a mental illness. And I say that with a lot of deference to people who are actually struggling yeah. with mental illnesses. But uh, we actually have some history on these things. When they happen, they're terrible for the people who do them. Yes. They they hurt them in the elections. They There is no win in this, for the Republicans, people are put into positions of enormous pain, as you've spoken about. Um, but then the architects of this thing are slammed. Uh, uh, we, You and I participated in a, a discussion, a off-the-record discussion, with Hakeem Jeffries the other day. Um, and without reference to the details of the discussion, um, Jeffries really impressed me. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I have to say, I wish more Americans understood what a talented, smart, down to earth, capable leader Hakeem Jeffries is, uh, because, uh, I, I think he, I, you know, he comes across to me as
2: formidable. I agree completely. And I want to give props to Nancy Pelosi, not only stepping down from the leadership But making clear that the succession process would be smooth and uh, non contentious, and really uh, understanding the talent that Hakeem Jeffries has, uh, seeing him as the logical and honorable successor to her, but also further down the line, uh, having a team uh, that includes Catherine Clark, Pete Aguilar, uh, just the generational change has been remarkably smooth. And Hakeem Jeffries, more and more people are going to see, and especially if and when he becomes Speaker, um, that he is in fact a generational talent. Uh, And that's good news for uh, Democrats and good news for the House uh, and the country. But we're going to go through a lot of pain before we ever get to that point. And while You know, I've been expecting more and more New York Times headlines blaming Congress uh, for the shutdown because it's the easy path out the both sides path. Republicans are making it increasingly difficult to do that because you're getting a steady march of them in front of the cameras or talking to journalists saying, this is a self-inflicted wound on our part. And you see Kevin McCarthy desperately trying to change that by, among other things, saying, I want to meet with Joe Biden so that we can straighten this out, because he wants to put blame on Biden. The fact is, of course, he cut a deal with Biden and then reneged on the deal, which set the uh, caps and uh, dollar amounts for the various programs. It's because of that betrayal by McCarthy under weakness from uh, the threats from the Matt Gateses of the world, that we're heading to a shutdown in the first place. But having said that, David, if this goes on for a long time, if it helps to trigger a recession, which it could, Joe Biden is uh, going to suffer some from it as well. Even if people blame Republicans, the state of the economy is still an extraordinarily important thing for Joe Biden as we head into a presidential contest. So I'm hoping that we get the backlash from this that we had when uh, Newt Gingrich foolishly triggered a huge one during the Clinton administration. And then uh, what we saw uh, when we had another one, uh, even when Republicans were completely in charge under Trump, that they realize the damage uh, ultimately and then have to back off. But this one I think is going to be difficult and more painful. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm
1: afraid. I'm afraid you're correct. Uh, speaking of difficult and painful, um, <clears throat> did you watch any of the Republican presidential debate?
2: You know, I started out saying I do not want to watch the this parade of fools, and then I decided that I had an obligation to, and it was painful. Um, this is a group of pygmies. Um, the people who moderated this debate for Fox Business were pathetic and lost control completely. Um, But every one of them was pathetic. And the one who you might have expected to be a grown up on the stage uh, of sorts, Chris Christie, uh, what really got to me was when he slimed Jill Biden. uh, And It was a a low and underhanded and unnecessary and completely perfidious performance on his part. It was piggish. And then you had Nikki Haley, who is presumed to be the grown-up in the room on foreign policy, who said basically that if she were president, she would invade Mexico's territory by sending in special forces uh and would cut off all trade with China. Uh and then of course you had Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, uh each of whom come from South Carolina and see the other as a rival, bickering over curtains uh at the uh uh UN ambassadors uh, uh residence in New York. Uh the whole thing was just uh, cringeworthy and pathetic yeah
1: well, i wish i'd been able to squeeze all that into my question because i agree with you 100% you know it started out with the fox moderators who were stooges every single one of them yeah. um you know saying here's what's wrong with america and then they went through a litany of of things about the economy which were complete bullshit and then we turned to this group of people who screamed at each other for most of the debate, out of complete, you know, out of control through, throughout the whole thing, you know, you have the Ramaswamis and the the, the Desantis and the Burghams who just shouted and and sounded like complete fools. You're right about uh, Christie because he did slime the first lady and and made it very clear why he hit his career ceiling a long time ago. Uh, you're right about Nikki Haley who was the grown up in the room in this crowd uh was the only person who was actually responding to questions by yeah. with real sort of policy um chops um uh but it was just a clusterfuck of the first order and um I I did watch it it was the longest I've ever spent tuned into Fox by the way in my life I yeah. never spent that that much time looking at them, at, at, at that uh, network. Um, and you. But you've got to wonder, you've got to wonder where all this leads. Because I know Donald Trump is leading in the polls right now. I know all the smart people who live, you know, in this neighborhood in Washington, D.C., say, oh, Donald Trump is definitely going to be the candidate. But here's what I think. I don't think he is. I worry about it. We should fight it. But this guy's going down hard. You know, this decision that happened in New York City, I don't think, you know, the re- it's resonated fully with everybody how dramatic it is that Donald Trump, who was sort of part of the New York skyline for a long time, has been given the corporate death penalty in New York, is not going to be able to practice business there, has found Um, to have committed fraud just like he was found to be a rapist and this was the trial nobody was worried about you know there there are things that are lurking out there that are much more severe and you could see last night just a little hint of this because these people are all spineless cowards and they would never stand up to Donald Trump and of course the idiot moderators never brought up the fact that you know Trump said let's you know put Mark Milley to death or let's throw msnbc in jail you know his fascism they don't don't bring that stuff up but but there was no respect for donald trump on that stage last night there was no tiptoeing around him there was a lot of attacking him and i just had this slight hope and maybe i was hallucinating that the worm is beginning to turn and i was just wondering what your reaction was
2: yeah i i think you have some really good insights there um Let me note first that uh, Trump saying that uh, Mark Milley should be executed, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, got no coverage at all on network news programs, much less Fox. At the same time, in Congress, and I'll come back to Craven Kevin McCarthy, Paul Gosar also called for the execution of Mark Milley not word one from any Republican condemning their own. The degree to which the standards have dropped so that it is acceptable to call for the execution of a military leader uh, just tells you something about the nature of this violent extremist cult that is now the Republican Party and its leadership. So I want to get that off my chest. The second element of this, though, is Looking at that remarkable ruling by the judge, something else follows. Trump committed criminal tax fraud at the New York state level and at the federal level, and very probably in other states as well. This has not yet surfaced in, with any more indictments. I do not see how, given what we now know about the degree to which Trump exaggerated the value of his properties to get loans, and then cut the value of those properties to get tax breaks. And we know that he got almost a billion dollars that were credits in his taxes that he could use over a period of years, federal taxes, to avoid paying his fair share. How do you not charge him now with all of those things, which at minimum, would mean that he would owe a billion dollars to uh, the federal government, and then uh, you got to believe that Alvin Bragg now has a green light to bring even more criminal charges for tax evasion in New York. yeah, so, If I
1: could if I could just interrupt briefly, yes. it, yesterday it was reported that uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James has submitted the yes. the, the findings from this case to both federal authorities and
2: state authorities on the issue of tax fraud. And how do you not uh, prosecute him on that basis now? So the pain is going to get deeper for him. The trials are going to uh, get uh, him into even more hot water. The only question now, we're supposed to start this trial in New York uh, in just a few days, is whether a New York appeals court uh, issues a stay. But the trial is going to result in even more penalties for him. And uh, you know that's pain of uh, of a sort that is deep inf- uh, deeply inflicted on Trump. if he loses his signature properties, if he is forced to sell others to be able to pay off what may be even more staggering debts. And then of course we have all these other trials coming forward. And I think you're right, at some point, unless he is, Acquitted, uh, exonerated, which seems increasingly doubtful. The the best I think he can hope for in some of the criminal trials is a uh, hung jury and a mistrial. Uh, That uh, it's hard to imagine that they just keep moving forward to pick him as the nominee, especially if he is facing jail time. But then the question becomes who is the alternative? And uh, you know, Trump was the big winner from the debate last night because they all looked uh, just embarrassingly ridiculous. Um, I do believe that some way within the Republican Party and its uh, mouthpiece on Fox that they're going to try and pressure a number of these other candidates out of the race so that they can narrow it down to at least have one option should Trump completely stumble. And it's not clear to me who that will be, although it's probably more likely to be DeSantis than anybody else. And I just, he is such a thug, such an unattractive person, somebody with no charm, no empathy, no charisma, that uh, that's not a good outcome for them uh, either. Uh, But, you know, you just have to make one more observation, which is Donald Trump now a certified fraudster, rapist, insurrectionist, all the rest of it still is in a position to contest for uh, winning a presidential election. And you still have these pernicious groups like No Labels doing what they can to make that happen. Yeah, I'd like to talk to you about that. I, I, I do want to say,
1: because of what you just said, that, you know, People who care about the future of democracy or care about the future of the country need to take seriously the possibility um, uh, that Donald Trump is the candidate. The reason I, I raise this issue is that they also need to take with a grain of salt all the analyses they hear that say, oh, it's definitely going to be Donald Trump. We know it because we've never seen this situation before. We've never seen a candidate with seven trials ahead of him, uh, and more to come. We've never seen a candidate who so dependably melts down when challenged in these kind of cases, as he will be over the next few months, that he is likely to commit other crimes who could, in fact, be sent to jail. Seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. But I do think that we are in a situation where... Our forward visibility is really compromised, and we need to be aware of that. Uh, This is the point, and I'll just say, this is the point in the show where we say to all of you who are not members, go become members. Go to the DSRnetwork.com, click on membership, pay $5 a month. You get to listen to the whole podcast. You get to listen to the whole podcast of all our other podcasts. You get to hear what we're about to say, which I know is going to be interesting, at least as far as what norm has to say um uh but for now we're gonna have to say goodbye because you're not a member and this is the members only part of the podcast and for those of you who are members who are lucky who are smart who are paying as much as five dollars a month stand by